All right. Hello and welcome back. This is Colin Keeley here. And I'm Brent Sanders. And we are two guys buying and building wonderful internet companies. Indeed. And we've had a lot of tech stuff happening this last week, the last two weeks. And as you can probably hear, I've caught whatever virus that's been going around, at least northern United States, which is like this two-week cold, which I feel fine. I still sound pretty bad. But over that two-week period, we wrapped up like the most of our quarterly goals for for Scout, which is the big ones, moving to Stripe for subscriptions and then moving to Stripe for payments for our customers. And we just shipped that yesterday, which involved a lot of going through old code that hasn't been touched in like years that we probably should be more careful with deploying, but we, we dug into it. And I think we have a great deal of confidence despite not having any tests or anything, manual testing, but yeah, we got it out and, and done. And I'm excited to, to see the change in, in how customer behavior goes, signups go. I think it's going to be a, a huge improvement from Braintree, which was just awful. Like, I don't know if you did any like live experimentation with Braintree, but like the amount of declines that they have, it's like crazy. And I don't know if it's a fraud thing, but I was going on our customer accounts like that are very reputable. They process tens of thousands per regularly and just adding a new card, it's like declined. And it's a good card. I know it's it's legit and I go into brain. I mean, I don't have access to see everything, but you do it on Stripe and it, like it works and it's, I don't know, it's just a different level. Uh, yeah. So just to put it in perspective, if you onboard and you're like, you have to sign up, you have to sign up for us, then you have to sign up for Braintree. And the previous owner had a blast out from Intercom, just an automated email, basically apologizing for Braintree and saying, right. whatever issue you're running into, because you're 100% going to run into this, it's an issue on their side and this is how you fix it. And like, this is the workaround. And so that is the sign up flow for Scout, or at least it has been for the last yeah. five years or whatever. So it felt really good to turn that off because it's been sent out like, I don't know, a thousand times or something yeah. to every single person that signed it up for years. Yeah. So despite that, I mean, the, the fun part about this was we got to touch every single part of the platform. So there's mobile apps for the pet parents, mobile apps for the dog walkers, the app, the web app for the business, the web app for the pet parents, like everything now has the same code and same Stripe updates. And then we got into the, they actually have separate billing microservices that this is where code hadn't been touched in, in quite a while, but we, it's fun when you it's like the most rewarding part of software engineering is sometimes like you're given no documentation. We do diligence. We make sure things work and that they're sanely put together, but then you get to change it and some sort of, sort of confidence around it happens. It, it takes longer than, than we expected. At the same time, we're supporting live users, which is kind of the challenge. I think that's been one of the challenges in that project where the, versus any acquisition, I mean, it's just our third. That one's been like, since day one, support's been like, there's always activity. There's questions, requests, changes. It's super active, which is a testament to the customer base, but also the, the interest there is in that product. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing with like business management software for X is like this literally runs their business and they touch it a hundred times a day. Yeah. So yeah, customer support's been wild. I think that is also the potential of like, we're charging these people like $30 a month to run their whole business. Yeah. And contact us every day. So there's a lot of space there to do other things. But I, this is an interesting one. I mean, you always think it's just like, 
All right, we bought something, ad sales and marketing, off to the races. And there's always a big tech lift. This one, I guess, was also, we bought it from a very technical founder. Is that a little different, I guess, from your perspective at all? Yeah, I, I think the transition from this founder, I mean, so there was two things here that were interesting. One, it made me appreciate, like, how much work that he, he put into this. And I actually even asked him, like, exactly how long did it take? Because there's so many code bases. There's so much code in those code bases. They work, right? Like there's, there's very, like the quality of the code is very good. It's just not tested. So certain best practices aren't, and you won't find many startups that have like great test coverage. Although we've acquired companies that have great test coverage sometimes. So it's just kind of luck of the, but yeah, he wrote everything himself. I mean, I think he hired some help here and there, but like, it's been, I was blown away and thinking about like other ventures that we started from the beginning of like. I always limited, like, I'm not going to do this until we get a certain amount of business growth. And I think he just built all this stuff and it was there. And, and so it was, I think the transition was, was good, but the way that he showed the code was, was beneficial. And I think that was one of the things in diligence that we saw is like, he broke apart the billing service. He broke apart the payment service. Some of these things were broken into smaller pieces. So yes, we got them in sort of not shambles, but in like, this is just how it is. And there's no tests and there's no, we can't run it locally and good luck trying to get it kind of tested and working, but it's always, you can always look into production and be like, okay, what's going on there and how do we kind of mirror that? But the, the challenge is you have to be technical yourself. And I think there's also a benefit that I'm lucky to be the age I am, because a lot of these things were built. And I've mentioned this before. A lot of these things were built during like my professional years. So it's like, I'm aware of the, the issues and the, the versions of things. And so I think it's been, it's one thing we've been able to navigate quite well. We've bought very technical businesses. I mean, they're all software companies, but some are a little bit more boxed up and tidy than others. And that's kind of the fun part of this is like digging into the, the puzzle and getting it put back together. So I don't know. I don't see that as been like a major challenge for us. I think that's one thing we've been kind of lucky with is the other thing is I've, I've tried to always keep an open line of communication with the seller or the, the tech founder. So with scout, like we get 90 days, we negotiated, but I even said to him, I'm like, Hey, let's, let's keep a consulting agreement open. So if I have questions and man, he shared a file with me that like would have meant the difference between rewriting this whole service or using what he already had. And thankfully he's like, Oh yeah, I, I meant to give you this. And it's like, yeah, that's the key we were missing. So. That was good to have. And, and I think keeping a good relationship open is vital. And part of that is incentivization through deal design, right? Like, a, yeah, I think seller note is a, a big part of this is like, Hey, we're all on the same team and we don't do earn outs typically. So, but I can see that being keeping that person around because you never know what it's just a password or a file or something that you need to unlock past work. So I'd like the spectrum of tech debt, right? There's always some form of tech debt. I'd say extreme of it. Like what would be too much that you wouldn't take on? <laughs> That's a good question because it's like, I feel like we take on a lot. I think it, it, it's a matter of like, we even have situations where like we're afraid or not afraid, but like we wouldn't want to touch certain servers, like a database server, because it's like the only one running at the time of acquisition. There's, there's situations like that. I think that's the, the scenario where it's like, do we feel comfortable like restarting something? And do we think it would not come back up? That's usually the line I 
would tow. It's like, okay, this isn't stable enough to restart it or like can't come back online. That being said, I mean, we're, we're in a situation where we've acquired something and then there are ways to like, for example, like a database, you can put things sort of in front of it. You can add a replica. Like we've learned these techniques to take like either outdated or fragile or brittle systems and add redundancy to them, add backups to them, add these things that give us, okay, there's mitigating factors that make it feasible, but like a hard and fast, no, I'd say it probably would just be something that's like still suffering from it, like a known security issue, right? Like what was the, the most recent Java related one? I forget the name of it, but you know, as everyone was patching Java, so making sure those things are there, but you know, that's the basics of our DD. Yeah. Cause I, I'm always looking at Constellation and I listened to an interview of another one this week and like, they'll pick up these companies who are just super cheap. And it seems like as long as they're throwing off cash and they're like putzing along, they'll take on basically the worst of the worst, as long as they're confident they could keep it running and they'll just yeah. shut down all innovation and run it for cash flow. But I, I am not that technical. I don't know what the extreme of that is. And when you just like, ah, this is impossible. Yeah. Well, I think that that's one thing to say, Hey, if you're just going to run it for cash flow, like with all of our acquisitions, we're, we're taking a pretty heavy hand. Like we're coming in and taking a, we're taking out Braintree and swapping that that's a pretty big, if you think about what in the domains of what Scout does, billing is a pretty huge domain. So to rework that with a different payment service and it, all the responses, everything works differently than, than Braintree. I mean, roughly it's, you're sending something to be approved or not approved, but you know, it, it's a pretty big change. Same thing that we've done with automatic and, and with blink cell, like we've, we've gotten very involved in, in that. So it's like, yes, could you pour concrete over it and say, Hey, we're never going to change it. We're just going to cash flow this. And then if it's really successful down the line, maybe we'll rewrite it. But I don't think we look at things that are like, we always want to be able to work with it. Cause I think we see it's a slow growth, like a slow process to do all this, but like I think we always see, hey, there's going to be some improvement, but I could see like GovTech software where it's like, or there are certain domains where you just don't want to touch it, keep it running. And that actually, there's a, a, a lot of like advancements in that world of containerization and things that you can do to cut costs. Like that's a really interesting thing. I don't know if you saw this mm-hmm. recent update from the 37 Signals folks or David Handler Hansen was a very like triggering figure in, in the Twitterverse, but they've been moving all of their infrastructure off the cloud, right? Yeah. So this idea of like doing all this containerization and doing it on your own infrastructure, I think that's really interesting. I think that's where we're, we're going to end up spending a lot more time is like, yes, things are on clouds right now, moving them onto our own infrastructure on our own data center. The costs at scale are, the, the cost savings are huge. I mean, they're, they're massive. I mean, you think about it. One of the biggest things we pay for with automatic, which we have a good way of getting around it, which is run it. We allow you to run backups on your own infrastructure is traffic. And you don't really have to pay for traffic as much as with cloud hosted resources. It's very expensive to pass data around in someone else's infrastructure. So all those things I think are, are directions that you can go with not having to touch the code and you just kind of containerize this old code and you can optimize it in other ways to make it more attractive, more appealing to get that, squeeze that growth out of it. Yeah, I think he was, he was saying they're going to save over a million dollars a year by moving off the cloud. 
it's like yeah. basically the most impactful thing they could do. I mean, they're not going to cut 10 people or whatever. And this is kind of an easy thing. So he's all about it. He's been boasting about it nonstop for like six months. Like all he talks about I, now. I, I wouldn't be so like boastful. I mean, he, that's his, his thing. Like I would be super nervous around telling everybody about that because it's like the redundancy. I guess you're, you're, he's a super confident guy and I'm sure he's a smart dude and knows what he's doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've, we have AWS outages that would be avoided. I mean, it's, I don't think it's, I, I think it will be shifting back in that direction. And I'm excited about that because that's kind of the world I came from, co-location, all that stuff of having a server and, and having a team down at the data center. And it, it, that seems like a, a, a good advancement. I'd like to see that more companies do that. Yes. Sorry. You know, other questions. Shout out to Jeremy Jackson, one of our listeners for sending over some questions in their almost all time. Oh, yeah. So this is the, the grilling Brent episode. Love it. His other question was along the lines of near shore, onshore. How are you thinking about you know, scaling up the tech team? Yeah. So I think it, it depends on resources in my mind. Like I think there's always, as I've gotten glimpses in some firms, like they, they are all offshore or all below a certain dollar amount. So it's like, you could be onshore, you could be near shore. You're just going to get paid a certain point below some tier. The way that I'm thinking about it right now is, so we, I think I mentioned this in prior episode, we, I've hired an apprentice. So paying a little bit more for full-time help that can really allow me to leverage my title a little bit better, leverage them and investing in that person to scale up. I mean, I think that's one thing that I'm seeing like a lot of value out of. And that's kind of always been happening as we've talked about in past episodes. But then there's like, what do you do when you have a ton of work or you want to do a rewrite of an entire application? I think that there, there are some advantages for like, hey, you're just going to need three to four people to do something or two to three people to do something. And it's not going to require a lot of back and forth. So the, there are, that, those are, in my mind, those are like the great spots for offshore talent is give them something that can be sort of modular, right? Give them entire pieces. And that's where we've seen success where it's like, hey, we want to upgrade from this version to that version. And it, it's pretty straightforward and it doesn't require a lot of back and forth and it has test coverage. So it's like, you just need someone smart to do it. And it doesn't need to be like a lot of meeting around it. And it can be done asynchronously. I think the stuff that kills me is the, hey, we have to have a conversation almost every other day about a tricky issue or a product feature that's like maybe partially baked or was going through iteration that it's just too hard. It's too hard on, on me to show up at like eight, nine in the morning and then be like, Hey, you get one or two hours or three hours at most to accomplish this in order to unblock the next day. And otherwise you lose multiple days. I just think from a, like a product management perspective, it, it makes my life miserable. Yeah. And so that's, that's where I'm seeing a lot more movement. I mean, those, the time zone changes or the time zone's difference is just tough. I want to start yeah. hiring some folks in like South America. If you ever want to visit them, it's like a five hour flight instead of like 20 hours to go across the world in yeah. our time zone. But so I've seen people have success there. A funny one recently is I've been looking for a good Webflow developer as I've like reached the limits of my ability to do some stuff on there. It's not all though good. It eventually turns to code and then becomes a problem. But I found That's a really right. good one, in, but it's Ukraine, right? So it's like he runs into issues, then he kind of disappears for like two days at a time. So it is really good work. It's kind of cool, like to support folks over there, but like he hadn't gone to his office in, I think a year until somewhat recently, because apparently if you walk the streets, I think he's in Kiev or like one of the big cities, they would just take like able-bodied men of like army age and like draft them into the army. Yeah. 
So he wouldn't leave his home because he couldn't risk it. He didn't want to leave like his kids. So, but yeah, he's yeah. doing great work over there just in the midst of a war. Yeah, man, that's a trip. It's not great. I mean, we have a, a family that moved here local. Actually, it's a relative, good friend of mine's cousin. She has family in Ukraine. It's been distant, but they moved here. They were able to, the, the wife and the son were able to move. And then the father was able to move. And I think he's still working on his visa issues, but he was able to leave because of a medical issue or something. So they are very happy to be here. Like literally, the, I think the day after they left, their apartment building got bombed and they're like, there's no, I was in the middle of, this was like two months ago. I think it was middle of January and it's like no windows and the building was fine. It was like next door got attacked with a missile, but there's no glass. Imagine like living through 10 below and there's no windows. It's like, fuck. So very grateful for our safety. And yeah, anyway, he's a super cool guy. And his son is, is, has become friends with my son. He's working up his English. So. Yeah, shout cool. out to Sasha. Okay. Yeah, it's a trip. Anything else you want to cover? I don't really have a bunch else. Yeah, no, that's about it. I mean, I think we've, I've been super heads down. I think I'm really excited. This has been a really busy last three months of like hands-on low leverage work on both automatic and scout. And it's, we're, we're finally starting to get some good talent in and get people in place. And we decided to kind of pick my head up a little bit more and, and start working on some more strategic things again. Yeah, I mean, just like revenue-wise and business-wise, things have gone about as well as possible. I mean, we haven't talked for a few weeks on this podcast, but like things have been up. Everything's been well. Like a lot of stuff we've been working on, finished some fundraising, got some money in the door. I've been doing taxes, which has been just horrible. But keeping taxes and like closing a uh, round of funding, it's just like I'm in paperwork hell. I had to walk. So I don't know, a printer, right? So I had to go to a coffee shop and print stuff. And then I had to go to a notary at Chase. Because Chase is never used, I guess you could use. So I had to do that. And then I had to scan because you need a wet signature, of course, for the SEC for some reason. But yeah, been inspiring you from all that mess, but getting through it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I just like let it pile up on my desk until it's as late as humanly possible. So you don't want me doing that stuff. You'd rather have, I could push code a lot faster. Yeah, I hate it. But yeah, yeah. it's been, it's been good. I actually, we, we could talk about some updates. I don't want to get in, in too far of detail, but like we, I think one really validating thing or, or cool thing that felt like Moneyball a little bit like you start losing with we're we've been working on this stuff for automatic like the onboarding flow and we released some features that it was all a theory and we were kind of like working for months on this theory of like it's going to be easier it's going to be easier we've got to fix the funnel fix the funnel and sure enough we released the features and the funnels fixed it was like super validating and rewarding to see the numbers like start to just go way up based on that. I mean, I don't want to talk into specifics, but it, it was like all based on, and it's funny this happened a lot in venture deals were like, we talked about, okay, we need to work on this, work on that. And you saw some changes, but this was like a very drastic change. And it felt like an outsized win because of all the work that went into it. So I've, that's a, kind of the first time that's ever really happened where it's like, it been a resounding success from like a feature. Usually it's like, yeah, there's a feature, but there's also sales and marketing pushing, mm -hmm. which we're doing, but it definitely feels like a marked improvement. And that's, that feels awesome. Yeah. A date curve is always like a theoretical thing where you're like investing, investing, investing. There's a natural drop. And then in theory, it's going to rock it up at some point. And, but that's exactly what the chart looks like. It's like yeah. down, 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 shoot up. Yeah. Just that one like inflection yeah. point. 
So that's been super cool to see. I know competitive listens, so we won't give any like a future product advice or product thoughts in there. Yeah, that's one. I got good. one other thing we should talk about. I forgot to mention that, and we didn't talk about this. We didn't really prep for this, but I don't know if you saw the, I think it was the CEO of Chartmogul talking about bare metrics, posting their, they're having their books open. Did you see this tweet? No. It, it was super interesting. I'll share it with you, but to paraphrase it, he basically, it was kind of a savage thing. So I'm, I'm in my, like the Twitter T, but he basically was saying one of the benefits from working in open or opening your books up to everybody like Josh did and at, from bare metrics is like, you get some notoriety and maybe you'll get some, some new people to sign up. But he, he was saying one of the biggest disadvantages is your competitors see exactly what's going on. And they, they were basically looking at their numbers being like, okay, what we're doing is working. We're seeing, I won't get into the, the exact trends, but they were taking a ton of intelligence from that and knowing that they were able to double down on what was working and they could tell what wasn't working for them was working for, for chart mogul. So it was very interesting. And it kind of was like a little bit, I'm wondering like, why would you even say that? Cause like, what's the upside in kind of shitting on that. But if you look at like chart mogul started after them, their first sale was later and bare metrics and they just saw this this number probably related to they had that big price increase where they did they double their prices yeah they doubled their prices and it looked great initially and then it's basically declined since then i haven't checked i think it's probably still declining and that seemed like it's going to be hard to overcome but yeah that yeah. whole space is kind of crazy i mean bare metrics sold for like three or four million and profit well a competitor end up selling for like 300 million or something is like a hundred X oh. difference. Wow. Yeah. And then Stripe is, is kind of eating in that space, which is scary to play. But anyways, it was an interesting tweet where this guy was like, maybe you shouldn't be sharing these like that level of detail because your competitors are basically feasting on that data. I think it's so dumb. So profit well, just to correct myself, sold for 200 million, but okay. just, I mean, building in public in say your revenue, especially once you get beyond like 10, 20,000 a month and like, it's clearly a success. You're just inviting like a million competitors because there's so many people out there that are good at building and just have no idea what to build. As soon as you say like, Hey, build this, it's working. You just like, there's a lot of sharks kind of hiding in the water. And so I get building in public until it starts to work. And then you should shut up. Just don't talk about it anymore. And just like do your thing and continue to grow. Yeah. Yeah, he was saying, I'll, I'll share the tweet with you. I bookmarked it, but it was like being able to see the numbers allowed us to see the results of certain pricing changes and their experiments and avoid essentially mistakes. And there's just like kind of a a ruthless, I guess they're showing their MRI. I guess now they are showing historical, this is back in 2020, so it's not terribly wild, but they're showing their MRR just like vastly exceeded. I mean, they were up to, looks like nearly 400,000 in 2020. Yeah. It's an interesting space because ProfitWell is free. Bare Metrics is, I think, nicer, but super expensive. So I'm not really sure why anyone would use Bare Metrics really. ProfitWell makes money when they, they have like retained their different features. So if like people are churning because their customer, like credit card expired, they'll like bring some back and take a percentage. I think that's a better business yeah. model. That's great. I mean, I would pay for that all day we, as we do. I think, you yeah. know, we use it and it's, it's well worth it. We're trying to chase people down. It's like, hey, we'll split this with you happily. Yeah, it's amazing how often those cards expire. And I think they get like something like only 20% come back and maybe with ProfitWell, it's like 80%. So it's like a, it's a pretty big difference. Cool. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. That's, that's pretty much all I got. Um, it's Friday. I think we, 
we're going to start moving this to more of a weekday, middle of the week to, to improve our, we've been kind of a sparse on our updates. So here's to some more regular releases of new episodes. Yeah. Friday recording is just dangerous. It's easy to punt and then you're punting for like a whole week instead of like, yeah. oh, I'll just do it tomorrow. So yeah, stay tuned for more consistent episodes going forward. That's good. Well, thanks for listening. All right. See you, everyone.